Good evening, it's good to be with you. I uh, hope you have your Bibles with you. And we're going to turn to uh, Hebrews, and it's Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to read verse uh, 8 through to verse 12. So it's Hebrews chapter 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After the time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Let's pray as we consider those words. Our Father, we thank you again that we can come into your presence now. And as we gather around this passage, which is uh, can be a difficult passage, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us to understand it and that we might see the truths held within it, that we might see the wonder of the, the links between the Old and the New Testament and the promise given to Abraham and how it has survived and passed down through the years and one day will be fulfilled completely when we go to be with the Lord. Now, Father, in the meantime, we ask your blessing upon us as you lead us this evening, and we ask it in his precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, as I say, uh, turn with me. Uh, we looked at this passage in Hebrews last week. Well, I said, if you remember, that we're going to revisit it this week and have another look at it from a slightly different angle. Um, the question for this evening is, what about the Jewish nation? Because, you see, Hebrews chapter 8 uh, has this prophecy from Jeremiah and virtually... 8 verse 8 through to 12 is the same as Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through to 34. That's Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 through to 34. So we need to understand a little bit about this and a little, little bit about Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah prophesied that the nation of Israel would go into exile. He prophesied that the people, uh, Judah, the people of Judah, would be taken captive by the Babylonians and that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed, but that eventually they would return and they would rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Now, this prophecy of Jeremiah went beyond what was happening in his day. It also included the arrival of Jesus. It also included the bringing of a new covenant, and it also referred to the return of Jesus. Now, if we go to Jeremiah chapter 23, we read this in verse 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is good and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteous Saviour. Notice that name, 
the Lord our righteous Saviour. Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant will come true only when Christ returns and takes up his church. That is the fulfilment of the prophet of the promise. Now the passage from Hebrews for us to consider this evening, Hebrews eight, verse eight, one to twelve, and Jeremiah thirty-one. 31 to 34. I want us to concentrate really on just verse 31 of Jeremiah. And it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I mentioned last week as we read through Hebrews that this is a specific statement referencing both the northern and the southern kingdoms, that's Israel and Judah. In other words, it's referencing the whole of the Jewish nation. And the question that's raised by many is, is this a separate promise given to the Jews? What we need to do now is ask the question, how do we understand the meaning of these verses in relation to God's promise to Israel, the promise that we're looking at, um, this new promise, which is in Hebrews and also here in Jeremiah, and how do we view it in light of the rest of Scripture? Okay, well, we're going to start. Uh, point one. We as Christians are the spiritual Israel, the sons of the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham is Jesus. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to walk through some of these verses together and just remind ourselves of what they say in relation to what we're looking at this evening. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 through to 15. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. So the covenant, the promise to Abraham, that won't change, that will be fulfilled. And the promise to Abraham was that both Jew and Gentile will be redeemed by faith. And this was always the purpose of the promise. So Galatians three sixteen to 17. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So what we learn from these words is that the law is part of the promise and the promise will be fulfilled by one man. Galatians 3 verse 18. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave to Abraham through 
gave it to Abraham through a promise. The promise does not come through the law. Galatians 3, 19-20 Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed of whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. So the law was entrusted to a mediator. And that was until the time when the true mediator came. Back to Galatians 21 verse 22. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So one of the things we we learn from those verses is this. The law was good, but it wasn't perfect. So what we'll do is we'll carry on in Galatians, and I'll go to verse 23 and 24. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So what is Paul saying here in his letter to the Galatians? He's saying the law was a custodian of the promise. And then he goes on in verse 24, uh, 25. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So he's telling us that the guardian's work has, has finished. The guardian's work is done. And it finished when the true son came. So Galatians three twenty six to 29. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let me read that last little bit again. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the conclusion here is that the the new covenant covers all who are in Christ. The barriers have been removed. There are no barriers. There's no barrier. There's no barrier of religion. There's no barrier of status or wealth or power or gender. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So let's come to our our second point to consider uh, this evening. It's this. When Jesus returns, will the Jews be treated differently? This idea uh, comes from the passage we're looking at. It's based on Jeremiah 31 verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. 
And we have to read what it says here. It is definitely speaking to the nation of Israel. But does this mean that there are two covenants, one for the church and one for the Jewish nation? Or is it all part of the same covenant? So we're going to go back into Hebrews and we're going to go a little bit further on than our passage that we've been looking at so far. Hebrews 9 verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This is saying that Christ's death covers the sins of all mankind from the beginning to the end of time. But it's also telling us there's one covenant with one mediator tells us that the promise is eternal, it's an inheritance, and the inheritance is for those who are called. So let's go just a little bit further into Hebrews to chapter 12 and take a verse from that passage, verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what? This is saying that this new covenant is a better covenant. It is one covenant, and it's one covenant with one mediator. So thirdly, let's just ask ourselves, uh, what do we know so far? Well, we know that this is one covenant with one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And we have this confirmed in the New Testament. We go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. We've also, by looking at Galatians, seen that there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. Not in the eyes of God. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So on the basis of what we looked at so far, let's ask ourselves another question. The question is, who were the first people who could receive this new covenant? Right. Remember the passage where Jesus sends out 12 to preach, the 12 apostles? This is found in Matthew chapter 10, it's verse 5 and 8. This is what Jesus said. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received... So freely give. What was Jesus saying there? Well, it was direct instructions. Very understandable words. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Who were they? The Jewish nation. Let's go to the time when Jesus uh, speaks with the Samaritan woman. Matthew chapter 15. 
Is there a verse from there? Verse 24. He answered, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. There's a lot in there. This is in the midst of Jesus' public ministry. And when he meets this Samaritan woman, he does talk to her. He does present her with the truth of the gospel. But what he says, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This was his mission at this point in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. What was the commission that he gave to his disciples? Luke 24, verse 46 to 47. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So, the promise was to all nations, but it would come through the Jewish nation. And when the gospel was to be preached, when this new promise was to be presented, it would go to all nations, but it would begin at Jerusalem. Pentecost. Peter stands up to preach in Jerusalem during Pentecost. And who does he preach to? They are Jews and proselytes. They are those who have been converted to Judaism. They are all there in Jerusalem. Acts 2 verse 14. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. Listen carefully to what I say. Later, Peter preaches a warning to fellow Israelites. We find that in Acts chapter 3, verse 24 to 26. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets, I have spoken. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are hearers of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all took the new covenant, the new agreement, the gospel message, firstly to the Jewish nation. It was rejected by most. Those who accepted became part of the church who are the new and true sons of Abraham under the new covenant of faith and grace founded and firmly based on the shed blood of Jesus who is the one and only mediator between God and man. The righteousness of God is by faith in Jesus. Let's go for a few moments back to Jeremiah. This time, chapter 32, and in verse 40 and 41, we read this. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me, so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. 
I said earlier that Jeremiah's prophecies go beyond his time and the things that he went through. It goes on to the things that would happen after his death. It would go on and prophesy into the time when the new covenant would be given and it would go on and prophesy about the end of time. Let's go to Jeremiah 33, 11 and 14. And keep in mind that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is all part of the promise. 33, 11 to 14. The sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, his love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without people or animals, in all its towns there will again be pastures for the shepherds to rest their flocks in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills and of the Nagav, in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. And this promise, as we've learned this evening, and we've learned from God's word, is the promise that was to all nations, that all nations will be blessed. Jeremiah's prophecy covers the events of his day, the fall of Judah, to the Babylonians, the return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple, preparations for the arrival of the one who is the good shepherd and the arrival of the new covenant. The end of the old covenant is announced and the return of the bride and groom who will bring his... and the return of the bridegroom who will bring his bride home. And that is the church and that is the promise when it's fulfilled, the promise of the new covenant. What about us today? We live in God's day of grace, as salvation is offered to all who will believe. Believe in the power of the shed blood of Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers. I want us to just brought to a close with one or two other thoughts. Uh, I know this is a, a long passage to go through, but we need to understand these things. We need to see the relevance of it so that we can understand what what is actually being said by the writer to the Hebrews to these Jewish people who have become Christians, who have all this history behind them, and they understand these things. We don't understand them as well as we they do. But we can understand them when we come to God's word and ask him to help us. I'm going to read from a little bit from Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 2 to 6. You'll know this passage well, but maybe you'll see it in a slightly different light. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, 
your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat and go home. And the man got up and went went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe as they praised God who had given such authority to men. Let's remember that most of these people present when this miracle took place will be Jewish people. Amongst them, we know there were leaders of the Jewish nation, the religious leaders and probably the political leaders. And Jesus turns his attention to them. And when he speaks to them, the words he speaks to them would remind them of things that they already know. It would specifically remind them of these prophecies like Jeremiah and specifically remind them of the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel refers many times to the one who is the Son of Man. Jesus, in his public ministry, as he spoke to the people and the leaders of his day, he used that title and applied it to himself. You go through the gospel and see how many times Jesus says that he is the Son of Man. So that would have drawn these people to the teachings of the prophets. So what did Jesus say? He said, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The forgiveness of sins has always gone through the, 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 the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifices. But Jesus doesn't refer to any of that in his statements. He pushes that to one side, brings in the new covenant. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's who he is, has authority to do what on earth, to do what your high priest has been doing all down the years, to forgive sins. And even your high priest couldn't do it. He could only go to God and ask God's forgiveness. But your high priest has gone into the highest heaven. In this miracle, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Jewish leaders. What did he say to them? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's still doing that today during this day of grace and he will until the fulfillment of the covenant of the promise when he returns. So I hope this helps us understand a little bit more about um, Jeremiah 31 verse 31 and Hebrews 8 verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. That covenant is in operation today and we stand under it. Shall we pray? Father, we acknowledge that this is a, a passage that can sometimes raise many questions. But we just thank you that when we look for answers, we can go to your word and we can lean upon the understanding of your your, your Holy Spirit and his wisdom and the wisdom that you have given to us. And our Father, we pray that between us, 
we will understand these things. And as we continue through this book of Hebrews, that we will now understand them a little bit clearer. And our Father, we just bring these things into your presence. In the name of Jesus.